Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Welcome to the Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Tina Sam, and I am your host today for the ASHP Therapeutics podcast. I currently serve as a pharmacy manager at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, as well as an RPD for the Solid Organ Transplant Residency Program. I am excited to be here today with our guest speaker, Dr. Jessica Starr. Dr. Starr is an associate clinical professor in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at the Harrison College of Pharmacy at Auburn University. Her practice interests include cardiology, internal medicine, and evidence-based medicine. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Starr. Let's get started uh, talking about today's topic, SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with HFPATH or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Specifically, Dr. Starr will be refining the who, when, and how of implementing these therapies. I'm very excited because I find these therapies to truly be the jack of all trades and excited to learn more from Dr. Starr today. So our first question, Dr. Starr, uh, why are we considering SGLT2 inhibitors for HFPF? I'm also excited to be here, and they really have been at the forefront of our attention really since 2015 when the first infrared study came out, and we started learning that SGLT2 inhibitors had this benefit in diabetic patients with their ability to decrease heart failure hospitalizations. And then more recently in 2019 and 2020, the DAPA-HF and infrared-reduced studies came out that shed light on empagliflozin and dapagliflozin being able to actually reduce the combined endpoint of hospitalizations for heart failure and cardiovascular death in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, including those patients without diabetes. And so the question really became, why are they having this profound benefit in heart failure patients? And I think we really understand their ability to cause osmotic diuresis, have that natriuretic effect, but we've also learned, although less well understood, that there's this ability of the SGLT2 inhibitors to have this blunting of cardiac stress, cause overall less hypertrophy, decrease fibrosis, and give this overall favorable effect on myocardial remodeling. There's also some research underway and looking at their ability to cause a shift in ketone-based myocardial metabolism, overall decrease arterial pressure and stiffness, and then ultimately lead to a reduction in both preload and afterload. So when you think about patients with HFPEF, and this is a diagnosis that can be quite challenging, often one of exclusion, and really pharmacologic agents have never really panned out in this patient population. We're starting to see with these additional benefits of a mechanism of action that SGLT2 inhibitors could possibly have a role in these patients as well. It's amazing to see that these truly can be game changers um, to your point, right? As we see the evolution of this drug first from half breath and now half path where we haven't seen many therapies at all um, actually be effective. Going back to empagliflozin, we saw that it was studied in a large randomized controlled trial, the Emperor Preserve trial, which looked at patients with HFPATH. Tell us a little bit about the key aspects of the study's design. 
Absolutely. So it was just published in 2021. It was a very large, as you can imagine, multi-center, double-blind, parallel, randomized controlled trial looking at empagliflozin 10 milligrams a day versus placebo. Patients had to have an ejection fraction greater than 40% with an elevated pro-BMP and New York Heart Association class 2, 3, or 4. Very similarly to the reduced ejection fraction studies, that primary endpoint was a time to event of the composite of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalizations. And then it had 90% power to be able to detect the difference in that primary outcome, looking at enrolling just over 5,000 patients and following them for 20 months. What did the patient population look like? It was very typical, I feel like, of your big, large cardiovascular Mm -hmm. studies. The mean age was roughly 71 years of age. Just less than half of the patients were female in a predominantly white patient population with over 75%. The vast majority of patients did have New York Heart Association class two, over 80%. I'm gonna be drawing some parallels to this when we get to some subgroup analyses, but I do want to mention that when you look at the left ventricular ejection fraction, the mean ejection fraction across all patients was 54%. And that does actually fall in the borderline heart failure preserved ejection fraction population. But breaking it down a little bit further, there was roughly a third of patients in that 40 to 50% range. Another third of patients had an EF between 50 and 60%. And then the last third had an EF greater than 60%. Again, this was not a diabetes study. So less than half of the patients had diabetes. And then the mean EGFR was 60 in both patient groups. This gained a lot of press when it first came out. Um, Tell us a little bit about those main efficacy findings. Absolutely. Probably surprisingly in this patient population with HEF-PEF, empagliflozin really did statistically and clinically show great benefit with that primary composite outcome, which I mentioned was the combined incidence of heart failure, hospitalizations, and cardiovascular death. There was a relative risk reduction in favor of empagliflozin of 21% with an absolute risk reduction of 3 having to treat only 31 patients with empagliflozin to prevent one outcome. It was primarily driven by heart failure hospitalizations. Again, empagliflozin with um, respect to that component of the primary outcome did decrease hospitalizations for heart failure with a relative risk reduction of 29% number needed to treat of 32. Maybe not quite so surprising, Independently, cardiovascular death, there was no difference between the treatment arms. That's sort of a trend that we have um, been seeing, especially in this patient population. And then again, just overall total number of hospitalizations for heart failure was significantly decreased with the patients receiving empagliflozin. That is so impressive and half and <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the things we have learned um, in implementing SGLT2s um, in HEFREF is that uh, it, it is not necessarily always a benign drug. So tell us a little bit about some of the primary uh, safety findings in this trial. Sure. Actually, the safety profile was favorable, I guess, for empagliflozin in this particular study. The adverse events leading to discontinuation of treatment was about the same between placebo and empagliflozin, sitting at right at 18, 19%. But then um, not unexpectedly, we did see an increase in uncomplicated genital and urinary tract infections. That's um, a known adverse reaction of these agents. And then we also had more hypotension in the patients on the SGLT2. Thank you for enlightening about us about those safety findings, as hopefully that will allow us to um, ensure that we're implementing this um, in a safe and effective manner. 
Were there also any notable subgroup analysis that are worth discussing? Absolutely. So they did look at a variety of subgroups. And I do want to say with respect to looking at the presence of baseline diabetes or baseline left ventricular ejection fraction, there was no heterogeneity between groups with respect to the primary outcome. Patients with or without diabetes both derived benefit from empagliflozin therapy. And then what I really wanted to point out, because this was very um, enlightening, was the patients with the ejection fraction of less than 50%. I think we sort of expected them to have the most benefit. They did, that did hold true in the subgroup where empagliflozin um, statistically decreased the incidence. But promisingly, in that third of patients that had an ejection fraction between 50 and 60%, they also held and being able to show statistical significance in favor of empagliflozin. So that was sort of exciting to see. And of course, this is a subgroup analysis, so it will need to continue to be looked at and researched. But seeing that benefit in patients that truly met criteria for HPEF was, was exciting. What are your um, overall conclusion or key takeaways from this trial? Absolutely. So I do think we can say with confidence that empagliflozin at a dose of 10 milligrams a day in this predominantly New York Heart Association class two patient population with both borderline preserved ejection fraction and actual true HEFPEF really derived the symptomatic benefit, mainly in the form of keeping patients out of the hospital for heart failure exacerbations. And that's huge in, in a disease like um, patients with preserved ejection fraction, just because we haven't had an agent that has really panned out, whether it was the aldosterone antagonists or ARNIs or much early on with ACE inhibitors and ARBs. And this was seen um, independent of diabetes. As I mentioned, there was no difference in cardiovascular deaths. That'll be something that we'll be looking for in future studies. But again, very big finding that we also saw this in our patients with an ejection fraction of greater than 50%. Truly, potentially a great game changer in this field. Dapagliflozin is also being studied in the DELIVER trial that is ongoing. What can we expect from this trial? So we are eagerly awaiting the results of DELIVER. It's going to be set up very similarly to um, Emperor Preserved. It is an international multi-center double-blind study looking at dapagliflozin 10 versus placebo. Patients are going to have to have an ejection fraction of greater than 40%. And again, New York Heart Association class 2, 3, or 4. Similarly, its um, primary composite endpoint is cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure, and enrollment has actually ended with over 6,000 patients, and the study is supposed to be completed um, next month, so that's really exciting. I'm excited because if you think back to the DAPA-HF study, which was dapagliflozin study and reduced ejection fraction, dapagliflozin actually independently did decrease cardiovascular mortality. So it'll be really interesting to see if that outcome can hold and deliver. And then of course, looking to the ejection fraction ranges um, in the subgroup analyses and seeing if we can continue to derive benefit in those patients with higher degrees of um, preserved ejection fraction. Dapagliflozin was also studied in a small 12-week randomized study, the Preserved HF trial. Are there any key takeaways from this study? It was a very small study, you're right, at just over 300 patients um, with an ejection fraction of greater than 45% receiving dapagliflozin or placebo. And it was only a 12-week study, so again, small with an um, endpoint that related to heart failure-related health status using the Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire. Dapagliflozin did um, have benefit in that quality of life measure, but again, we'll really be waiting for it to deliver to see its role.
Any final comments regarding SGLT2 inhibitors in HFPATH? I think it's just really exciting that we have an agent now that can help keep patients out of the hospital. I th I'm excited to see what Deliver has to offer. I think that probably another big question that's going to be weighing on people's minds is, is this a class effect? Certainly when we think about reduced ejection fraction and then with the study um, empagliflozin and now coming dapagliflozin, most of the data lies there. But from a pharmacokinetic standpoint, I think that, you know, we don't have any reason to believe it wouldn't be a class effect. We are going to have a second part to this podcast that's going to be talking more about practical tips of the SGLT2 inhibitors and how to prescribe them and which patients we should avoid. So I think we can be looking to hear from more about that as well. Thank you, Dr. Starr. We're excited to hear more in part two. Thanks so much for joining us today. And if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's clinical resources. You can find exclusive member offerings such as resource centers, including those on critical care, nutrition support, opioid management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, Preceptor Toolkit, and forums such as the ASHP Section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists Connect community where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Therapeutic Thursdays and join us here every Thursday where we'll be talking with ACHP content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.